Amen. Uh, man, I don't know about you, but I get excited about mornings like this. Uh, it is so much fun to be able to, to experience, witness people um, proclaiming publicly their faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And, and guys, I don't, can, is it okay? Can we, just, can we just pause for a second? Like, I think, I think sometimes I am guilty of just moving past, you know, it's like, well, this is what we do next. You know, I come out, the bumper video goes on, and this, this is just what we do. But I just feel like I just want to take a few minutes. Like part, part of we've been talking about like growing in joy and gratitude, part of that is paying attention to what we're paying attention to. And if we, if we just move right on past because that's what we do on Sunday mornings and we don't just stop to just sit in the awesomeness that we just got to experience the public declaration of two people saying, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and I want everybody to know that. Man, we miss it, Right? Just becomes road. It becomes just, oh yeah, that's, this is what we do on the Sunday mornings. No, that's awesome. So I, I know we just prayed, but can, can we just pray again? Can we just, I just want to stop for just a second. I just want to breathe into this moment. I just want to thank God. Okay, would you join me in that? So let's, let's just do that. God, we are so grateful we are so grateful for, for, what you, for what you do in our lives. The fact that we can be people who declare my faith is in Jesus Christ. That God has saved me, not because of what I've done, but because of what I could never do, but what Jesus did on my behalf. And God, we praise you that, that we are a people, we are a congregation where you are breathing new life where people are experiencing you, where there are spaces where we get to experience you and find our place in your story. And God, I just praise you for, for these, these that have declared that here this morning. And God, we just pray for, for just strength to be poured out upon them. And as a congregation, I pray that you would help us to remember to lift them up in prayer, help us to come around them, help us to Help us to, to, to as, a, as a group, God, help us to come around them and encourage them and just declare who they're becoming over their lives. God, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your mercy. And we just thank you that we get to be a part of it. It's in your name. Amen. 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 This morning, if you would take your Bibles with me, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And if you don't have Bibles, I'd encourage you, there's, there's some Bibles in the, under the, the seats in front of you, um, and, and I believe it's page number uh, 1786 in those Bibles, so 1786 is Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking at Philippians 3, 1 through 11 this morning. And as we've been going through this book, what we're, what we're doing is we're looking at it through this lens of identity and belonging. And it's been so, much, so fun for me because I, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church a long time. There are some of these verses that it's like, oh, yeah, I count it. I, I, you know, I count it all a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's rubbish. Oh, yeah. That, I, I know that. I'm super familiar with that. And yet when we stop to say, okay, but this is identity, that we're looking at it through the lens of identity and joy, the question then becomes a little bit different. It's, the question is, well, what does that look like for me? How do I, how do I understand that, yes, Philippians, if, if you're not aware, Philippians wasn't written to me, right? Paul, you know, some thousand years ago, whatever, you know, he wasn't like, you know, one day Luke Hedinger in Columbia, Missouri will be reading my words. He didn't write it to me. He didn't write it to you, but it's written for us. It's written for me. It's written for you. And so when we look at these words through the lens of identity and belonging, the question is, okay, Paul, what do you have for us? And I think this morning, what we're going to see is that Paul, first and foremost, and I'm going to give it to you right off the bat, Paul is telling us that joy in life, as we talk about joy, and joy is the jet fuel for transformation. People are transformed when they experience joy, right? And if you're like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't. Okay, let me, let me ask you. Are you transformed when somebody's like, do better, be better, read your Bible more, pray more. You should pray more. Like, it's like, oh, thank God. Somebody came into my life that just made me feel bad enough about myself that just, boy, that was really... 
No, that's not what brings transformation. What brings transformation is joy that, that we know that God delights in us. And so out of that delight, what does it look like for us to live into who we're becoming and not feel shame about who we've been? That's, what, that's where transformation happens. And, and if we're to look at joy, I think the big idea that I want us to walk away with this morning is that joy in life is alignment with the Lord. Joy in life is alignment with the Lord. We can think about it a couple different ways. If you think about like true joy is found in the voice of our Father. True joy is found when we let God be God in our lives. And, and here's the reality. There are so many different identity messages that are just whispering in our ears. Because what I just told you is an identity message. That joy is found in the lordship of God. Like, that's an identity message that I am a person who seeks to, to say, yes, God, you are lord of my life. Jesus, you are less an identity message. And the reality is that there are tons of identity messages every day just whispering in our ears. There's identity messages in other faith backgrounds and other faith religions. Like, uh, there, there are, there's the identity message that says, I just need to spend my life trying to get right with God. To, to just make God happy with me because it feels like, feels like he's not. It feels like God is a, is a cosmic killjoy and he's just waiting to see if I'm going to have fun. And then he's just, stop it. Don't have fun. That's not what we're here for. You're here to be on mission. All right. So, so there's, there's this idea at times in other faith religions, faith backgrounds where it's like, okay, I just need to balance the scales. I need to do more, do more right in my life than wrong. And then God will be pleased with me. There's other faith backgrounds that say, I just need to, I just need to, to, to cut myself off from any temptation and, and anything that I feel in my body. Is, That's bad. Don't look down. Oh, it's, just, it's just my spirit and I'm a brain on a stick. And, and if I can just try not to be tempted by anything, then, then that's what's going to bring me joy. And that's, that's what's going to do it. And it's interesting because even as I say that out loud, and those are both uh, different faith backgrounds and different ways, it's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to reach joy and reach fulfillment in life by doing these different things. Man, that is so prevalent in the church too, isn't it? If I can just make God pleased with me, if I can just do enough right, then at the end, my, my scales will balance out and I'll be ushered into heaven. If I can just not be tempted, if I can just, if I can just avoid sin, then, then I'll be right with God. See, we can get into these mindsets, these, these identity statements, but also it's outside. If you're, not a, if you're not a person of faith, there's so many other identity messages out there too. Right? If, I can just, if I can just break barriers, if I can be the best me I can be, if I can be self-actualized, if I can, if I can just go inward and figure out what makes me tick, then, then life will be full of joy and, and everything will be right in the world. If I can just be the best at, at whatever I do. And you see, the reality is we, we know where that ends. We know where that path ends. I, I, I remember a I think it was Madonna. I'm not a huge Madonna fan, um, but I, I think it was Madonna that was, that was given an interview, and, and she said that, you know, with different accomplishments, each album that comes out, like, there's a moment where there's joy. There's a moment where there's fulfillment. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, my place in the world is secure. And yet that moment is fleeting because it only lasts as long as the success of the last thing that she did. So I got to keep doing more. I got to keep being more. I got to, you know, because there's, there's always somebody behind us. Uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift, which, you know, whatever. Whatever you think about her, right? There, there's, she has this song, which is super depressing to me. And it, it's all about, like, like who, who am I going to be when my novelty's worn off? And every time I read that, it's like, oh, Taylor, let me tell you, like, I'm just so sad for you, right? She's, and like part of the song, if you've never heard it, part of the song, she's like, you know, she's saying one day, I know I'm going to meet the girl that's going to replace me. And then, and then she'll say, oh, you made it possible for me to do this. And then I'm going to go back to my room and cry. It's, like, oh, it's so sad, but it's so true, right? The identity messages whisper in our ear that says, just try harder. Uh, ultimately, we know where those end up because we can never try hard enough to really feel secure, to really feel like our place in the world is okay, to feel like, okay, I, I, can, I can calm down. I can stop striving. You see, what Paul tells us, what we're going to see as we look at this passage, Paul starts with, with, a, with a command 
And he follows it up right away with a warning. Because Paul knows that the people he's writing to live in the real world just like we do. Definitely different. They probably didn't have Taylor Swift back then. But, but the, it's, the, the reality is there are a lot of identity messages even back here with these, these people, the Philippians. Paul's friends that he's writing to, there are identity messages and say, hey, hey, do this. Follow this. Watch this. And the reality is, is that we can, we can do those things and we can wind up places where we never thought we'd be. It, it reminds me of when um, one of the first times I drove downtown in Minneapolis. Minneapolis tri- driving is super scary. I don't know if you've ever driven to Minneapolis. Yes, Seth has driven to Minneapolis. Like, Minneapolis is super scary. Uh, and, and again, I'm from Brashear, which there's a, like one stop sign in Brashear. No red lights, no, you know, it's like one paved road straight through. Um, and, and so, like, driving in the big city, terrifying. And Minneapolis, too, there's always construction just because. And they just close down roads and make you go different ways. But I remember we were up there for, uh, in the hospital, and I, I was in the morning, I was trying to be a good dad, be a good husband, get some Starbucks coffee to start the day, and I'm, I'm looking at my GPS, driving downtown, trying to look at all the signs, trying to look at all the things, and, and you know, my son's in the back seat, and, and just trying to just do life. And then all of a sudden, I turn onto this one road, and I find myself driving on railroad tracks. It's like, why are there railroad tracks? In, in a downtown city. And what I, had, what I had stumbled upon was the light rail, downtown Minneapolis, which is the public transportation. They have this, like, you know, these railroad cars that drive around. And here I am, just freaking out, trying to follow all the things that are coming at me, finding myself on railroad tracks. And so I, I'm just like, ah, you know, and, and I don't know, Jackson, I don't know what he was doing. My brain was shutting down. I just, I pulled off of the railroad tracks, up onto the sidewalk, and just stopped. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to follow all these things that are coming at me, and, and I find myself in a place where it's like, how did I get here? How did... The story ends fine. Like, I figured out where I was supposed to go, and I got off the sidewalk and over the tracks and got onto the, the right path and found coffee eventually. But the, the reality is that's sometimes, I think, what life can feel like. There's all these identity statements. There's all these things coming at us. And if we're not careful, we can give our lives and our energy to things that will lead us in places where it's like, man, how did I get here? This is not where I want to be. And yet what Paul says is he says, true joy, true joy is found in alignment with the Lord. It's, it's allowing ourselves to hear the voice of our Father as he whispers to us and says, hey, this is the way you should go. Walk in it. So if you would stand with us, we're going to read this together and we're going to unpack what it is that Paul's talking about. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And after we get done reading this, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you'll say, thanks be to God. This is just what we do here. Um, but Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection 
from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. And as we, as we go to your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. God, I pray that you would use my words and, and just help us to experience you here this morning. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, what we see, what we see as Paul starts this passage, as I said earlier, we see a command. What's the command? Rejoice. Some translations say, like, take hope in the Lord. There's, there's, this, there's this command that says, rejoice in the Lord. And that word rejoice it literally means find your joy in the Lord. And I think what, what we see there, that word Lord that Paul uses, it's not, just, it's not just like he's praying and just whatever comes to mind. You know, you go on autopilot and say, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. You know, you know he's, he's using a, a title there. He's saying, find your joy in the Lord, the authority of God in your lives. The, the voice of your father that whispers and says, hey, this is who you are. This is your identity. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And I love it because he says, it's no problem for me to write the same thing to you over and over again. He says, it's no problem to me. He's, he's not like the parent who says, how many times do I have to tell you to pick up your shoes? He's like, no, no, it's no problem for me to write this to you. And it's interesting because as I was reading back through Philippians these past few weeks, it's like, well, Paul, where have you been writing this? Where, where have you said the same thing over and over again? And I think what he's doing is he's saying, this is the lens by which you read all that I've written. He's writing to his friends, and, and the whole thing has its foundation and its root in this identity and belonging spurred on by joy in the Lord. So everything we've talked about up till now is flavored with this joy. And it's no problem for me to continue to write it to you because I find joy in that. When you find joy in the Lord and he says, it's no problem for me and it is a what for you? What does it say? It's a safeguard for you. That word safeguard, it literally means like an anchor. It's, a, it's the thing that keeps your foundation. It's the thing that keeps your footing in this world that has all these identity statements. He said, when, when, I mean, I, if, you've, if, you've ever, if you've ever been boating, if you've ever, if you've ever been on the water, we went, I remember we went down to the Lake of the Ozarks, and Lake of the Ozarks is incredibly rough, right? It's super rough water. And I remember we were, we were with some friends, and we were on a pontoon, because uh, we're old and not very fun, and we were on this pontoon, and we found this little cove that was, that was quiet, and we're like, okay, put down the anchor. We put down the anchor, we get off and swim, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, the boat's going that direction. And it's like, well, the anchor could never get purchased, because the water was so rough. And see, I think that's what Paul is kind of referencing here is he's saying, look, we need an anchor for our lives. We need to come back to this foundational truth that says you can rejoice in the Lord. Why? Why do we need this safeguard? Why do we need this anchor? Why do we need this foundation? He goes on to say in, in verse 2, here's the warning. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And, and what Paul is, is doing here, and I think what we miss oftentimes because we don't understand like the cultural background of how Paul is writing, is that he's using a ton of irony here. When he's given them this warning, each of these things, as he describes the opponents of the faith, why they need an anchor, why they need to be reminded that our joy is in the Lord, not in all these other things, because he says there's opponents to that out there. There's these identity statements that are whispering. And there's a lot of irony here. The first thing that he describes them as, he says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those dogs. Dogs has a very different cultural meaning now than it did then, right? You know, when I think of dogs, I think of my little Shih Tzu Terrier. Like, I'm that kind of guy, right? And, and I, I think, of, oh yeah, I like to cuddle him. And you know, it, it, that's not what Paul is referencing. Right? Paul is referencing, it's actually this uh, term that Jewish people love to call Gentiles. This, this unclean, like, dog. And it's actually a term that Jesus in the Gospels, he's recorded calling a Gentile woman who came to him and, and she said, hey, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus looks at her and he says, ah, it's not good for me to give bread of the children to the dogs. 
And it's like, whoa, what is Jesus saying? I think what he's actually saying, if you, if you look at the context, what he's doing is he's trying to get them to see how messed up that is. Like, he's, he's trying to shock them and say, oh, it's like, like if, you've ever, if you've ever watched, like, um, you know, when, when you watch movies from, like, the 80s, you know, when you were a kid, like Goonies, you know, it's like, oh, Goonies, oh, it's such a classic. Oh, kids, come on, let's watch Goonies together. And then it's like, oh, I didn't realize there was that in there. I didn't realize this. Okay, let's shut this up. You know, it's like, it's shocking. Now, don't go back and watch Goonies to, to see what I'm talking about. But, but it's, it's shocking. I think that's what Jesus is doing. That's what Paul is doing. He's, he's saying, look, they're trying to make you something other than who you are to make you right with God. To say, oh, th- here's your identity. This needs to be your identity. And, and actually what they're doing is they're bringing you away from God. They're trying to make you right. And he goes on, we see this again, those evildoers, watch out for those evildoers, people that are coming in where it's like, well, that seems kind of right. That seems okay, I guess. There's, I don't know about that. He's saying, no, it's evil. Trying to add to what we just heard this morning, Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And yet these people are coming in and saying, that, yeah, but you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, you're loved. But I mean, you got, you got to do more than that. You got to be more than that. You got to do more. And, and what, they're, what they're really hitting at is seen in this last one. He says, those mutilators of the flesh. I mean, Paul, I think Paul is getting worked up in this letter. Because Paul, the, the letter of Philippians is written to people that Paul loves. They're, they're supporting his ministry. He loves them. He spent a lot of time with them. He, he planted the church. He saw many of them come to know faith in Jesus Christ. And I think what he's doing is he's getting worked up. Because he's like, oh, they're, they're coming in and, and they're doing all these different things. And, and Paul used, a, he used a, kind of a scribe to write his letters, most likely. And we know that Paul, I don't know how we know this. I know it's somewhere, but the, he's believed to be like the short, bald guy. And in my overactive imagination, I can just see Paul getting worked up. And he's like, oh, and, and you know, those evildoers, those dogs, you know, because he's, he's like, oh, they're, they're trying to remove you. you your, your identity in Christ, the, the joy that we can have in the Lord, they're trying to take that from you. And that word mutilators, mutilators of the flesh, it's actually, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, I know that that word, the word, the Greek word for circumcision is peritome, which means to cut around. All right, and we're not going to go into details about what that means. You can ask your parents when you get home. But, but that's the Greek word for circumcision. And the word, though, that Paul uses here to kind of land this punch is katatome. It, it sounds very similar. But that word katatome, instead of to cut around, means to cut into pieces. And so Paul is saying, look, this, and, and actually, literally, that means a false circumcision, the false circumcision. And, and it's so interesting because what Paul is referencing here, again, he has his mindset in the Old Testament, and like, this is the water Paul swims in. But in Leviticus 21, verse 5, it's kind of, we see that word, but in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in. And Leviticus 21, verse 5 says, and they shall not shave bald patches on their head, and they shall not shave off the corner of their beard, and they shall not make a cut in their body. Now, what that's referencing to, the law is talking about priests, saying, look, if you're going to be a priest, if you're going to go in and, and minister to the people and go into the temple, then you need to be set apart from, from like other priests of other gods. Other priests of other gods would shave bald spots in their heads. I don't know why. They'd cut off the sides of their beard. They'd make cuts in their body to worship these other gods. And he's saying, that's not how you act. And so what Paul is literally doing there is he's saying, look, these people that are coming in, they look okay and they look right and there's some kind of ring of truth to it. He's saying actually what they're doing is they're separating themselves from the grace of Jesus Christ. They're separating themselves. And he goes on to actually say in the next verse, he says, for it is we who are the circumcision. And again, that's the, the, the word true circumcision. We are the circumcision. And, and he's not talking about physical. He's talking about circumcision of the heart. He's saying we are the ones who worship. He goes on to say we who serve God by his spirit. Anybody else have a different translation? We serve God by his spirit. Some translations say worship. Anybody have that? 
We worship, yeah, we worship God by his spirit. Again, he's literally talking about the Old Testament temple. And he's saying, look, we are the ones who serve the Lord in the spirit. We are the ones who get to worship in the spirit. And it's not because of anything we do, but it's because of what we have been done for us. He said, by the spirit who boasts in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. And then, and then it's, I, I love it because he turns a corner and I think Paul gets really feisty here. Because he says in verse four, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's throwing down the gauntlet. So, okay, you want to play that game? Let's go. Like you you want to talk about how like you think that you're getting right before God, this identity that says, oh, I'm right before God because I've gone under this, this circumcision. I, I'm right before God because I've checked all these boxes off. He's like, okay, you want to play that game? Let's, let's play that out. Let's see how this goes for you. And in verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. Let's just stop there. Circumcised on the eighth day. The Old Testament law demanded that, that Hebrew uh, boys were circumcised on the eighth day. And so what he's saying is he's saying, look, you want to talk about circumcision? I was circumcised before you even knew what circumcision was. Like, I'm OG circumcised. I got the t-shirt. Right? It, yeah, I, let's not follow that illustration out. But like, I, I'm, I'm there before you even knew what you needed, what you thought you needed to do. I was there. So I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. See, the idea was this identity statement that they're whispering in the people's ear in Philippians uh, to the Philippian people is, well, you got to be, you got to be Jewish in order to be Christian. To be accepted by God, you have to first follow all these laws, follow all these rituals, follow all these customs, and, and literally become Jewish. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's laying out all these different things that he's like, I didn't even choose that. It was just because of where I was born and my family and all these different things. The, the, the tribe of Benjamin... Actually, when you read the Old Testament, uh, there's this passage in Deuteronomy 33, 12, where Moses is, is he's blessing the tribes of Israel. And it says in, in uh, Deuteronomy 33, 12, about Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. He's saying, look, I, I'm, I'm it. You want to talk about what makes us right before God? I, I did all of the things that you can do. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which is, a, which is like the tribe of tribes. And uh, it says a Hebrew of Hebrews. That, that terminology, I, I think it literally means like a, a man among men. You know, you think about watching John Wayne movies. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a man, right? That's a, that's a man among men. There's, there's this idea where it's like I, could, I was as Hebrew as you could be. And then he goes on to say, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I think what he's doing is he's answering the arguments that might have come up. Those first things that we see, it's like, I didn't, even, I didn't even choose that. It's just where I was. You want to talk about being Jewish? I was as Jewish as you could be. And if, it was, if, it was, if we got to be right before God just because of what we did, then I would be as right as you could get. And people might have said, yeah, but you, you, know, you, weren't, you, weren't, you didn't follow all the law. He's like, as, as for the law, I was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the person who kept the law. If you wanted to know what the law said, you went to the Pharisees because they knew it. They studied it all day long. Every, that was just their bread and butter. He said, as for the law, I was a Pharisee. I knew the law better than anybody. And he says, as for, as for zeal, you know, maybe somebody was like, yeah, but you, you weren't really like gung-ho about it. Maybe you, just, you just, you know, punched your time clock and you did your time. And he's like, no, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. Like this new religion that popped up, this new thing. See, all throughout history, for the Jewish people, there were different religions that would kind of come up and, and these different idol worshipers and, and the, the religious people, they, they kept like trying to, trying to keep people right with God. And he said, that's what I continued to do even when the church popped up. I was, as, I was as energetic about it as you could be. And he says, as for righteousness based on the law, and again, that word righteousness, it's a legal term that means being in right standing. It says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. 
People might have said, yeah, but you know, maybe you, you just couldn't hack it, so you chose something else, right? You couldn't, you couldn't play, so you began to teach. Isn't that a saying, those who can't play teach? I don't agree with it, I'm just saying that's a saying, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and people, people are maybe like, oh, you couldn't hack it, so you went and you became a Christian. He's like, no, I, I was faultless. I, I did all the things, and yet, and yet, those identity statements that I agreed with, those things that I kept, I, I kept running hard after, it did not lead me to a life of joy, a life of fulfillment. He goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, all those things, they did not get me where I wanted to go. They brought me onto the railroad tracks instead of the highway. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? See, I, I think for a lot of us, we can get into these places where it's like, okay, yeah, where is my confidence? Because that's what Paul's talking about. He, he's saying, here's my confidence. Here's where my confidence lies. It's in all of these different things. It used to be. And, and as I was thinking about this this past few weeks, it's like, well, where does my confidence lie? Because I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Where does my confidence lie? It's not in circumcision. It'd be weird if, if you know, we just preached about why you should be circumcised. And that would be weird. That's, that's culturally different, right? It's not in that. But, but my, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, there are definitely areas where my confidence lies. And, and as I was thinking about it this past week, um, one of the ways that I was thinking about, oh yeah, where does my confidence lie? Well, first it, it, it is revealed when I think about, well, how do I judge others? How, how, do, I, how do I judge others? I grew up, I grew up the, the church we went to. My, my dad taught us at an early age, which I really appreciate. My dad taught me at an early age that you park as far away from the front door of the church as you can. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's, there's some people saying, oh yeah, amen, I, yeah. It's, you know, and it showed like we're, we're in, we're not going to take the front, you know, parts. And, and there are times where it's like, oh wow, I mean, I parked, I parked over in that corner, over in the field. I, I, guess, uh, I guess you didn't want to, that's, but I mean, that's okay if you want to take the closest parking spots, but uh, I mean, that's all right. I mean, there, there, are, there are things that where, where I'm like, man, you know, that person, somebody moved in the church and, you know, I mean, you didn't show up to help, but that's, I mean, that's okay. You probably had more important things to do, didn't you? You, you probably had a, another show to watch on Netflix. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Oh, you didn't show up to help move chairs. That's okay. I mean, there's probably something else to do that's more important than serving in the house of the Lord. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to judge you too harshly. Right? There are these things where if I ask myself and I say, oh, how do I judge others? What are the things that come up in me? It's like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have watched that show. But I mean, you know, we all have different convictions. Some are right and some are wrong. That's okay. You know, there, there are things that come up in me that, that really show like, okay, where does my confidence lies? And lots of times my confidence lies in how well I can serve you or at least like how how visible I can serve you, if I'm honest. Like, if you see me walking from the back 40, because that's where I park, and it's like, well, yes, I'm, uh, I, I let you park in the parking spot that's right by the door. No big deal, right? Oh, I set up these chairs, but it's fine, it's fine. Like, my confidence can lie in these different things, and it gets revealed when we, when we ask this question, how do I judge others? The, the second thing I was thinking about, it gets revealed when we ask the question, well, how do I encourage others? You know, if, if somebody comes to me and they're saying, yeah, I'm really struggling with, with this and, and, you know, I'm struggling here or, you know, my marriage isn't where I want it to be. It's so easy to quickly go to, well, well, how's your, how's your scripture memory going? How's, how's your quiet time? Because in, in my mind, in my mind, it's quantifiable. It's, you can, you can measure it, Right. Where, where there's, this, there's this mindset where if I'm, if I'm honest with myself, my confidence lies in the reality where it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's almost November and I'm right on my Bible reading plan. No big deal, right? Which I'm not, by the way. Uh, it, like, there's, there are these realities where it's like, well, how do I encourage others? 
That it reveals where my confidence lies because it, there can be this wrong thinking that says, if I do my part, God will do his part. If I measure this much or if I memorize this much scripture, God will, God will keep me safe. If I, have my, if I have my quiet times, then I'll have my health. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, what do I expect? If I had a flat tire, well, I didn't do my quiet time this morning, so God must be really upset with me. See, these things, where our confidence lies, gets revealed when we ask some, ask some questions. The third one I kept thinking about is, what message comes up in me when I fail? What message comes up in me when I fail? This past week, uh, Molly was leading, leading worship this morning, and, and I had told her, I was like, hey, whatever you need, I'll help you get ready. You know, and she's like, oh, that's so, thank you, that's so helpful. Would you, would you mind to, to print off the music for us? I was like, oh, yeah, totally. I can totally do that. All right. Well, Wednesday night about 7.45, we have practice on Wednesday night for, for worship team. Wednesday night about 7.45-ish, she tech, I get this text message. I'm sitting around the kitchen table. I get this text message. Uh, hey, Luke, um, did you have a chance to print that music off? Oh, oh, you know, I just start going down the shame spiral. It's like, oh my, I'm such an idiot. Oh, Molly's going to think I'm lazy. I'm here just enjoying time with my family. I didn't do this. Oh, I'm just, I, oh I, shouldn't, I should quit. You know, no, I didn't get to that point. But it was like this, this reality. I saw, oh, no, I'm not that insecure. But it's like there, there's this reality where it's like what comes up in me when I fail is just shame, 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 guilt, all fear. Well, what are you going to think of me? What's Molly going to think? What are, if I'm honest, every time I get up to preach, I have to be aware of what are the messages that are being whispered into my ear. And I have to say, oh, that's shame. That's fear. That's insecurity. I get up and say, man, if I'm not clear, they're going to think that I didn't do anything this week. Shame. See, when, when we can ask, stop and ask ourselves some questions, we begin to realize, oh, where is my confidence? Because here's the reality. We are right before God. If I get up here and I bomb this, that would not be fun. But my my position before God would not be touched. Amen? Amen. If, if I get up here and I, I fail, I say something wrong to, to you or I say something ins, insincere to my kids, or my position in Christ would not be touched. See, what Paul is talking about here as he continues to talk is, is behavioral righteousness versus positional righteousness. Behavioral righteousness says, if I can do enough, then I'll be right before God. If I, can, if I can read enough scripture, if I can memorize enough, if I can serve enough, if I can, if I can do all these different things, then I'll be right with God. And Paul is saying that is absolutely false. What we need to understand and where our joy needs to be rooted and grounded and anchored is that I don't have to do anything. I'm already right with God. Why? Because, because Romans 3, 22 through 25 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a New Living Translation. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. Who has sinned? Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This morning, as you come into this place, if you're saying, I have done too much wrong. Join the club. If you come into this place and say, oh, you don't know my background. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said to these people. You don't know what I've done, what I've said to people. And yet the reality is if we are, if, if our righteousness, if our rightness before God is dependent on our actions, none of us, none of us can be right with God. All of us will experience the penalty for our sin. And yet scripture says, no, when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he took your place. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of 
God. When we understand that, oh, that's cause for joy, isn't it? That's cause for joy. See, and I, I think that's what Paul goes on to talk about. He, he goes on in, in verse, I'm going to find it here. Uh, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. See, Paul knew Christ as his Savior. And he says, I want to know him as my Lord. That knowing, it's the same word when we see in, in Genesis chapter 4, the first, uh, our Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, it says Adam knew Eve, and she had a baby. It's like, that's, that's some knowing, right? She, I, it's, it's the most intimate way. And he, he said, look, I don't want to just know doctrine. I just don't, I don't want to just know all the right things, the equations. I don't want to just know that. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Uh, the, the reality is in, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In, in Romans chapter 8, it says that we have the same spirit living in us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So therefore, he will give life to our mortal bodies. See, the reality is, as, as we talked about last week, God is working in us. That we don't have to live in shame of who we were, but we can live in joy of who God says that we are. Amen? And see, when we understand that and when we say, I just want to know you more, we can come into that knowing not to receive righteousness, not to, not to receive right standing before God, but because we are right before God. Isn't that awesome? See, we can put our, what does it mean, like two things I was thinking about, what does it mean to know somebody in this way? I, I think the two things off the top of my head this past week that I just kept thinking about is time and attention. Time and attention. Like when, when I first started uh, really getting interested in my wife, she worked in the library at school, and I wasn't what you'd call a good student, right? I didn't study. I didn't get good grades, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing air quotes for all those different things, but, but it's like I, when, when I first started like really being interested in her, it's like, you know, my friends were like, where are you going, Luke? Oh, I'm going to the library, you know, just freshen up on my studies. Like, yeah, right. We know why you're going like, oh, shut up. You know, it's like, like I, I just wanted to be around her. And at times, we've been married 20 years, and there are times where it's like, oh, man, haven't had a date night in like a month. You stop and you realize like, oh, the time is slipping away and yet I want to have time with my wife because if we're truly going to know someone, it takes time, right? There, there are so many times for us where we just fill our life full of, of stuff and there's so many voices and so much going on. We wake up in the morning, we open up our Instagram feed, we open up Twitter, we open up all these different things and we start jumping on that treadmill, what would it look like to stop and just take some time and, and just sit before our Father and listen for His voice? Not because we're trying to be right, but because we are right, because He looks at us and loves us. Not, not only does it take time, but it takes attention. My wife and I, I think it was like a month ago, we were on a date night, and we like to people watch sometimes, and, and we were watching this couple, and all throughout the meal, uh, the the woman, I don't know if his wife or not, but the, the woman was just on her phone. They were eating. She's on her phone. And he was just kind of sitting there eating every now and then. It's like, oh, well, they're putting time in, but where's their attention? See, I think that we need to stop and say, okay, what does it mean for me to know Jesus in this way? For me to, to not, not to try and be right, but because I am right, because he has declared me as right. And I think the reality is so many of us, we settle with this kind of pseudo-knowing, right? It's like a vaccination where we, we get kind of a form of the thing and it actually protects us from the actual thing, hopefully, right? We get a, we get a form of the virus, we get a form of the, the sickness, and, and hopefully then we won't, we won't experience the full thing. And I think tragically, so many of us in the church, we get a form of Christianity, and it actually protects us from the actual thing. 
I, I remember I had a friend who, he, he was at a place where he's like, I gotta, I gotta turn my life around, I gotta be different, I gotta do different, and, and he did for a while. He put his trust in Jesus and, and worked really hard. And at one point, he's like, you know, this isn't for me. And I, he left the faith. And I remember he was talking to his dad. Um, and he was doing something that wasn't in keeping with faith. And his dad is like, I thought you were a Christian. What are you doing? And his dad wasn't a Christian. And, and my friend said, yeah, I tried that. Didn't stick. I tried that. It, wasn't, it just wasn't for me. See, lots of times we, we hold God at a distance. And, and I love this quote from uh, an old pastor, G.K. Chesterton, that says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. See, we, we look at what it means to know Jesus, to know him, to, to find our identity in him, and sometimes it's just easier to, to just put our time in especially those of us who have been believers for a long time. We've, we've grown up in the church. There, there are moments, if I'm honest, there are moments where it's like I get a taste of what it could look like, like going on a mission trip or something. I remember going on a mission trip with my youth group uh, a long time ago. We, we went to Chicago, and we were praying. We were, we were walking around this park, and we were just asking God, God, would you bring us into, into contact with somebody who you want to know them? You want them to know you. And, and they're like, in the back of my mind, there was another prayer, and it's like, but, but it'd be fine if you didn't. But not too many people. And I remember we were walking around, we were praying this, and we were asking God, and, and we, we came upon this, this guy that was sitting on this park bench. He was just sitting there combing out his hair, and he had these big beats on around his, uh, these headphones around his neck. And, and one of the, the girls in my youth group, she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. What's your name? Oh, my name is this. And oh, my name is this. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just walking around telling people about Jesus. I was kind of like, ooh, <laughs> we're just going there. This is like, have you heard about Jesus? You know Jesus? He's like, yeah, I've heard about Jesus. My mom actually talks to me about Jesus a lot. She says, I need to know Jesus. It's like, really? Well, what brings you to the park? Well, I got a lot of friends back in my apartment, and I just, something just told me I needed to get out of there, and I just needed to go for a walk. And I just sat down on this bench, I started listening to my music, and just so happened to, his, his headphones died. He didn't, he didn't charge them. Just so happened to leave his apartment with all his friends. Just so happened to, his headphones died. And just, we just so happened to come across him and ask him about Jesus that his mom's already been asking him about. See, the, the reality is when we, we put ourselves into positions and situations like that, we actually get to experience the reality of God's resurrection power and the presence in his life, and we actually get to hear his voice because we, sigh, we turn down the volume on all the other things in our lives. And we, we get to stand for, for brief moments. We get to stand under the waterfall of his grace and his joy and his goodness and his, his, his favor that does not end, but sometimes we take ourselves out from underneath of it. See, and I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, find your joy in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. This morning, I think there's an invitation for us all, no matter where you're at. There's an invitation for us. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're still sitting not under the waterfall of his grace and his goodness and his righteousness, but you're sitting under the waterfall of, of your brokenness, condemnation, shame, there is a way out from under, underneath that. There's a way out this morning. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, we'd love to seek God with you. And I would encourage you to take that step of faith, putting your faith and your trust in Jesus, saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I receive what you have done for me. Put my faith in you. And for those of us who we've been Christians for a long time, and yet we found ourselves out from underneath that waterfall, we're trying, we're rushing, we're finding our, our confidence in all these other things. The, the invitation this morning is to say, oh, let's step back under it. Let's step back under the waterfall of his love because when we do that, oh my goodness, church, when we can stand under the waterfall of his grace and his favor, there's joy there and there is transformation there. Amen? When we spend time and we give attention, not because we're trying to gain something, but because we already have, people notice that and they're like, oh, I want that.
And even if they don't notice it, we get to be people who live in joy, which is so much better than living in shame, which is so much better than listening to those shame messages where, where it's like, oh, you're, you suck. Oh, you're, you're dumb. Oh, you're lazy. Oh, you're this, you're that. That is not the voice of our Father. That is not the voice that tells you who you are. It's a voice of, that, that says, oh, this is who you were. Remember that? And the voice of our Father says, oh, let me tell you who you were who you are. Let me tell you who you're becoming. That's the invitation this morning. Can I pray with us as we enter into that? God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We praise you for the fact that you are not content with letting us continue to just listen to the voice of shame. But God, you, your voice, you continue to speak into us. God, I pray that you would help us to hear your identity messages to us. Help us to hear, God, who you're making us become and not, not the voice of shame that keeps us uh, focused on who we used to be. God, help us. Help us to be a people who experience you. God, if there are people in here who have never experienced the, the salvation that you offer, who have never experienced what it means to be right with you, not because of anything they can do, but because of what you've done, God, I pray. I pray that you would not let them leave this morning being the same as when they came in. God, help us, help us to help this to be a place where we experience new life here this morning. We love you, God. We praise you, and I pray that you would help us to continue to walk in that reality. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.